Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. You can support Witchlit and the serious book habit it requires at ko-fi.com slash witchlitpodcast. And you can be part of the show by sending in your own death, sex, religion, politics, money questions for our guests to victoria at witchlitpod.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and give us a rating or a view wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help other witches find the show. Here's to never getting to the bottom of our to be red piles. Rachel Henderson is a dual class seamstress shield maiden. She is the author of So Witchy, Tools, Techniques, and Projects for Sewing Magic, as well as The Scent of Lemon and Rosemary, Working Domestic Magic with Hestia, both from Llewellyn Worldwide. You can find her on Instagram, Facebook, or at her blog, idiorhythmic.com, where she writes about magic, creativity, living by one's own life patterns, her family, and books. Rachel Henderson, welcome to Witchlet. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I enjoyed So Witchy a lot. We were talking a little bit before and I am a, a sewer and an embroiderer, so it, it hit a lot of my um, happy places. <laughs> <laughs> but our first question for everyone on the show is, you know, in this age of all these different ways to communicate, and especially for creative people who, you know, may have other pursuits, why write? Why write books? Oh, um, because I, uh, I've always wanted to be an author. Um, like books have always had a very special place for me. Like even before I knew how to write, I would do these little scribbles and pretend that I was a journalist or uh, a writer or something like that. Um, and I just always found, uh, you know, being, I'm 46, so I grew up before the internet. So books were the way that you got information. And I feel like books are still relevant, even though uh, there's all these other ways to get information and communicate. Um, and uh, I'm not a book fetishist where I feel like, you know, it's, you have to have, you know, there's nothing, people who say uh, there's nothing like the feel of a book in your hand. My response is always, well, there's nothing like the um, ability to get information uh, whenever at your fingertips when you like, we have smartphones and stuff, but mm-hmm. um yeah, for me, there's still something about holding a book and reading out of one. Um, but I'm also just mostly about the information in it. And I find that books are still just convenient ways to uh, get information to, to people, especially for longer forms, whereas the Internet is much better for shorter, bite-sized uh, pieces of information. Yeah, I think that, I mean... I think a writer is a writer, you know, regardless of what you're doing, you know, if you're blogging or Mm -hmm. publishing books or poetry or whatever, but I do think it is interesting that to look at it as a form, like what, what is best suited to what form, especially when, you know, trying to get kind of nonfiction, you know, material out there, like 
um, just the difference between writing a blog post on say, like, here's how to do this one thing versus your book, which I love is described on the back, I think is part grimoire and part, um, or part spell book and part, um, pattern book. I can't remember exactly the wording, but you know, just this idea that it's like, you know, yeah, here's these, you know, kind of treatises on different ways you can incorporate magic, but here's actually the pattern to do it. Like here's the things you need to make this happen. Uh, it's funny because the first, um, the title that I was uh, pitching it under, uh, I called it, um, uh, the subtitle was A Soist Book of Shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the whole point is I wanted to share like the first part is theory and the second part is practicum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do like the way that you weave that in, like, even in the part that's theory, you're still talking about, you know, because we're talking about very concrete things, sewing and like the, the magic of, you know, that these are, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like that weird, it's like the egregore of sewing almost like, you know, humans have had to make (laughs) their own clothing for so long. And just the idea of doing that act of sewing is something that, you know, our ancestors back to the beginning of when we were upright and wore clothing, we're making the same action, you know, doing those same actions and like what's embedded in that. So mm-hmm. I love that you talk about that idea in the book. Yeah. Uh, having grown up, um, like I come from a long line of sewists, my grandmother and my mom uh, and all the way back. Um, I come from, um, my family has always been very much make do people. Mm-hmm. So uh, it always just was, okay, yeah, you sew, you sew clothes, you sew dolls, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got out um, out of the home that out of my childhood home that I came to realize that a lot of people don't sew and don't know how to do stuff. And I have people be like, well, can you sew this button back on for me or stuff like that? And I was like, this is, it was, it was a little bit of a culture shock for me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, thinking about how up until, you know, even two generations ago, uh, most people just made their own clothes. They made their own linens and furnishings and the like, Mm -hmm. and how we have kind of, we had this sudden dramatic shift to um, everything coming from uh, industrial and and, uh, factory made things to the point where sewing for yourself either is considered kind of, um, it it gets the split between either it's something magical where they're like, oh my goodness, you have this knowledge and you make this Mm. this stuff for you, or it's considered kind of low class. Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you don't have the money to just go out and buy new you. Oh, you repair uh, this tear in your shirt or whatever. And it's just a very weird. um, It's, it's a weird kind of, uh, conflict between the two ideas and so i think thinking kind of remembering that we have been sewing for forever uh kind of helps alleviate that kind of tension a bit i think Mm -hmm. yeah well and i think i love that there's this like 
small undercurrent of like visible mending and like those kind of things talking about, you know, kind of that make do and mend mentality. Like you were Mm -hmm. commenting on that, you know, this fast fashion, this, you know, throwing it away because you need to put a button on it. Like that's not good for the planet. (laughs) Like that's not good for anything. So learning those skills I think is important. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I think about what you said about people think, you know, like sewing your own clothes. I grew up, you know, in the seventies and eighties. Um, and my mom made most of our clothing or we got it secondhand. Like, I don't think I knew new clothes mm-hmm. came from the store till I was in high school. Cause I was at the tail end of a bunch of kids. So I have one little brother and everybody else was older. And, um, you know, I look back on it now and my sister and I would roll our eyes about the fact that my mom made her clothes, but like, it was a lot of labor to do that like to make our clothes was a lot to get patterns and material and like now it it is cheaper to go buy an item of clothing than to make it yourself often because you know material is actually expensive the thing that you're not paying for with those cheap clothes is people's labor so exactly yeah i think that's um i know i think just you know when you think about being able to do it and and having the knowledge to sew and like you said it's not common anymore that people do so or know how to sew and I think like growing up like the sewing machine was always set up in our house like mine is not set up in my apartment because I don't have a place to put it right now but yeah I mean we just, <laughs> that was just something we did and it was something my my grandmother did and my, you know, like you said it's just part of the life we it was had an appliance yeah it was an appliance like a refrigerator or an oven or mm-hmm. uh you know going in, in my family, at least, you know, everybody had a sewing machine and, mm-hmm. you know, even if you didn't sew clothes, we were sewing, you know, sewing dolls or sewing um, tea towels, uh, you know, people cross-stitching, embroidering. Um, my mom would make dolls. My grandmother made stuffed animals for all the grandkids mm-hmm. along with other stuff. Uh, my aunt one of my aunts um she uh belonged to a church that had certain rules about length of skirts and the like so she was always lengthening the skirts on my cousin uh Mm -hmm. and so adding and she would make beautiful like uh embroidery and lace and trim and all this stuff i was always so jealous about like how (laughs) how fancy her clothes were um so yeah it's it's one of those things where you know and also I grew up and you probably grew up too, where you had a home economics class mm-hmm. in middle school. So you, yeah. and they taught you how to sew and, and the like, and there's, um, I think a lot of places have kind of ditched those, yeah. um, kind of crafty, uh, lessons, um, yeah. so that's where we're at now where people don't know how to do any of this. Yeah, I went to a high school that um, was a ag school, like in the 30s, they built it to get farm kids to stay in school, basically. And um, so it was like all the guys and some some girls took uh, agriculture all four years of high school. And then I took four years of home ag, basically. So, you know, and then I learned to sew at home, but I had already learned to sew at home. So I got in trouble a lot with my home mm-hmm. teacher because I was doing things the wrong way because I was doing them the way <laughs> my mom showed me how to do them and I would get in trouble. And she was like, yeah, trash key. 
no, this is not how you do this. I was like, well, is that my mom showed me to do it? She goes, no, it's not how you do it. So that was you know, always amusing. But yeah, I mean, I loved being able, you know, I was, even though I grew up in, you know, rural East Tennessee, like I was a, you know, proto new waiver goth kid. So that I could make my own clothes was great. Or I could get stuff from the Salvation Army and refashion it, you know. That was that was pretty cool. But um yeah, and I had friends who sewed. I had a friend who like drafted her own patterns and made her own clothes and stuff too. So I never was much of a pattern drafter. That's one of those sewing tasks that um intimidates me a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> I get that. I I totally get that. So what was the impetus to like kind of put this book out in the world and kind of show that overlap of the magical and the mundane. And so. Um, so in 2008, I got divorced uh, and I had a four-year-old. I had been out of the workforce since uh, I was pregnant with her. Um, and that's 2008. Everything was collapsing. <laughs> Yeah, it was an awesome time to to get divorced and uh, be like, OK, what am I going to do? Um, and I'd had uh, basically minimum wage jobs before that. So uh, I had to do something. I was like, OK, I just need something that will pay the bills until she's old enough to go to school, because then I can go to work. Because uh, at the time, you know, any job I got, all the money would have gone to child care. Um, so what I did is I, I had been sewing a little bit and I had started, um, I was, uh, LARPing, which is live action role play. And I had a bunch of friends who were, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Well, in case anybody else isn't, isn't familiar. Uh, and my friends were like, can you sew costumes for us? And I was like, sure, I can do that. So I had been doing some of that and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, uh, try sewing for a living. And so I spent many years sewing costuming and bags and and stuff and going to events and selling them. And as I was doing this, I would do stuff like I would, if it was something for sale, I would use green, my green headed pins to pin it up because I'm like, okay, let's bring that money energy in. Mm. And I'm writing sigils on my, uh, on my sewing machines uh, in like green magic marker, uh, you know, just doing um, everything that I can to kind of bring this, you know, I'm putting sachets of mint in with my inventory uh, before I take it to events. And as I was doing that, I was like kind of building a, a grimoire for myself, a book of mm-hmm. shadows of sewing magic. Um And uh, I had, after my, I got remarried and after I had my son, I had a really bad case of um, uh, postpartum depression, like Mm -hmm. really bad. Uh, And this was around uh, 2011. It wasn't until 2014 that I was able to, because of the ACA, I was able to start getting like medication help, but I was struggling a lot those years. And during those years while I was struggling, and then once I started getting medication, um, I was like, okay, I need something where I can stay home more and not have to travel as much. And so I was like, well, you know, I have all these little things that I've written about, you know, jotted these notes down about spell stuff. Let's see if I can write 
a book about, you know, sewing magic. And my original plan was just to self-publish it, just put mm-hmm. it up on Amazon um, as an ebook and, you know, do that kind of see if that would generate some income so I wouldn't have to travel as much. And uh, I had somebody said, well, why don't you try to, um, why don't you try to find a publisher for it? And I'm like, I don't think anybody's going to want, it's just so niche. And I just don't think that there's really an audience, but okay, I'll give it six months. I'll try for six months to see if I can find a publisher. And at the end of six months, if I can't, well, you know, I've only, it's only been six months and then I could go ahead with my um, self-publishing. And then Llewellyn was just immediately like, yeah, no, we, we would, we would like this. And even my editor, uh, Alicia was like, you know, when I read the pitch, I was like, ah, sewing and magic, that's really niche. But she's like, but then I read your writing and I'm like, okay, we, you know, yeah, we can, we can do something with Mm -hmm. this. So yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things I like about the book is that, you know, it is focused on sewing and kind of not magic and embroidery and cross stitch and all that, but it also like does set a mind to thinking about all the other things you do in your life. I mean, there's a lot of books about kitchen witchery and all of that. And it's kind of in that same vein of like, um, and we talked a little, we were talking before that, you know, our lives are so full and so busy that if you can incorporate things, if you can incorporate doing your magic for the outcomes you want, for the people you care about, for the world into what you're doing already. I mean, it's, it just seems like, you know, I I don't think magic shouldn't be work. Like you should work to get those outcomes that you want and there are things that you need to do, but you're doing the work anyway. So like make it magical. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, And that was the thing. And and I still, because I'm still, uh, I still go in it, sell, at events and, and the like. Mm-hmm. And I still have, you know, I have a little money jar where I got my my coins and my rice and my mint and my other stuff in it that I sit right beside my uh my card reader for mm-hmm. when I'm at an event. And um I think and again I was mentioning before that our lives are so compartmentalized that working your magic into stuff that you're already doing, working into your crafting, working into your making is a way to kind of tear down some of those walls and Mm -hmm. get back to where we used to be, where um, everything was interconnected. We, you know, it wasn't separate. Um, And yeah, no, magic should be work. You are working towards, but there's nothing saying that if you're making a scarf for you're making scarves this winter for your family uh throwing in some love uh and health magic into that throwing in some you know stuff to boost their immune system and the like to help with keeping them warm and keeping them safe from uh from colds and uh the rsv that is going through the country right now Mm -hmm. that is it doesn't take anything more than intention. Yeah. It just takes you going. And and that's what magic is, is intention. So mm-hmm. if you're already fo- putting your focus on something, you can just kind of weave in and bolster that, in- that intention. Yeah. And I think that is um, a great way for people who may not have thought before about how to incorporate, how to 
get their magic out of the circle and into their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're already doing some sort of crafty project, I think that this kind of helps people go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Much like Kitchen Retreat uh, gets people going, oh, yeah, if I'm making this meal already and I'm already using these ingredients that already have these magical correspondences, I can just kind of put it all, all together. Yeah. But I do think there is this, I don't know. I mean, I, I personally don't have it and I, I don't know many people, but you do read about it and see people talk about this idea of like high and low magic and, you know, kitchen witchery and head witchery and these things are kind of different than like people who do more structured ceremonial magic. And I was like, this is all tap in the same source. <laughs> you know, it's all tap in the same source. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't really have that, but I do think that there is still this kind of weird separation between like the home and practice or something that is, you know, it's just kind of that, like, like I said, in high school, the girls were taking home ec, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. the only guys that took home ec was the football team because they had practice during the time that ag was, I mean, so you know, (laughs) you know, it was just this like weird separation of like, this is a, a woman's sphere or whatever. And I'm like, to me, that is garbage. It's like that, you know, everyone should be in the kitchen because that's where the food is. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone should have some of these skills. I mean, you just need them to live. I mean, you just need a lot of these mm-hmm. skills to get by. You need to know how to cook yourself something to eat or at least reheat something. You need to know how to uh, take care of clothes, even if you don't know necessarily how to make them from scratch. You still need to know how to care for them, which is part of that realm of sewing is like, you know, mending, pick, you know, fixing a hem, you know, those kind of things. Like, I think it's, I don't know. I just, I, I like the idea of it being, like you said, like not separated, like it's all of a piece, these things that we do Mm -hmm. just sounds slightly idyllic, but also lovely. (laughs) (laughs) I think we got in some ways close to it. Uh, in 2020 and 2021, when um, people were home, mm-hmm. and when we had shutdowns and we had people working from home, that um, all of a sudden you mm-hmm. have, well, I'm I'm working from home. Um, I I have you know I've done all the work that I need to do. I have this downtime that otherwise, if I was at work, I'd either trying to be uh, looking busy. Or I'd be using that time talking to people or something. Well, I'm home. I might as well start some bread. I'll, you know, do a little bit of cleaning and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think we got close to that in certain ways where back to, you know, centuries before where our ancestors, they worked and they lived and everything came out of their home. And a lot of their homes were one room uh, cottages or um, apartments, uh, flats, that sort of thing, where that's the entirety of your life was out of this one place. Mm -hmm. And so I think we, we kind of got a little bit of that going on in uh, at the height of the shutdowns and remote work and the like. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny to me, like the things that became like, especially like in those early parts when everybody was 
for the most part home, except people who absolutely mm-hmm. couldn't be that, you know, the things that people turn to is like making, like you said, making bread and, you know, like, and we couldn't get things because stuff wasn't available or things were closed. So people were like, oh, this is how I've been making my own cleaner for the counters or, you know, it's just funny to me. Like you said, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, uh, yes, the lockdowns were not great or whatever passed for a lockdown in the United States. I think we didn't have lockdowns like they did in other places in the world, but, um, you know, it was the reason for it was horrific and is still horrific. The, you know, the situations around it, but there were these weird things that came out of it that I think gave us glimpses of maybe a better life. Yeah, Absolutely. I just can't, I also think about like, you know, the, I know the one that really struck me is it was like the canals in Venice clearing because I've been to Venice a couple of times and it's kind of smelly. And I was like, that must have been amazing <laughs> to live, to be a person who lives in Venice, not to be inundated by tourists for one, like, you know, and then to walk outside yeah. and see dolphins in the canals for the first time in your life. That had to be pretty weird. So weird stuff weird stuff and not really about writing or sewing but um <laughs> I, I i love the um the idea of your other book which i have not read yet the, the scent of lemon and rosemary and so how did you come to work with hestia i've always been fascinated oh, by her um, as a goddess yeah well uh back actually uh i know exactly when uh I first was introduced to Hestia. It was back in 1999. Um, Because I got, uh, I grew up Baptist and um, didn't really know that there was other stuff out there until I went away to college, Um, got uh, introduced to first Wicca and then the larger pagan witchcraft via Cunningham, which I think is pretty much the story for anybody my age. Uh, you know, the the solitary Wicca and living Wicca, those two, you're just like, yep, that's that's the gateway. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I quickly moved on from from Wicca. It just wasn't a right fit, the right fit for me. But I was doing a lot of research, reading a lot of books, and um, I came across Hestia and uh it just she resonated with me so deeply about this you know uh the home and the hearth and all of that um and then i life happened and hestia has always been kind of at the back just kind of standing back waiting patiently just like okay i see you've got all this other stuff going on you're in this really horrible relationship uh but that you have to you you're gonna have to work your way through that but i'll be here on the other end when you're you're ready and um and so it took about almost 20 years for me to come around and be like okay um get out of that relationship uh get uh settled with into my new life and then all of a sudden Hestia is like okay you ready and I'm like yeah I'm ready to <laughs> like I lost I, I lost my house in the span of a couple of years I lost my house we were homeless for um 
for about six weeks while we were trying to scramble, like my, we were scattered across the country. My husband, my son were out here in Wyoming. I was still in Illinois uh, with my daughter. Um, And being that unsettled and being that uh, fractured just really drove home that I needed something stable and I needed home. And so um, once we got our feet underneath us, um, I was like, okay, yeah, no, this is, um, I'm, I'm ready now. And Hestia is like, awesome. So now you're going to write a book. <laughs> like, okay, um, sure. And uh, just looking at, you know, how, and I, I actually was writing this book in 2020. So like at the beginning of, um, I thought I was going to have, I was like, I'm going to have six months. I'm going to have six months of the kids are at school. Um, my husband's out at work. We were sharing a house with some friends. They were going to be at work. I'm like, I'm going to have all this time to myself to sit here and just bask in Hestia and write this book. And then COVID hit and everybody's home. <laughs> everybody so it was it was a little bit of a challenge the opposite uh, of what you thought was going to happen the exact opposite of what you thought was going to happen exact opposite um but it it really was just you know it i i viewed it as a as you know an object lesson in um we want safety and our homes are supposed to be a safe place and yet we spend so much time away from our homes and oftentimes for a lot of people home isn't a safe place so uh it very much it was an exploration of okay how can we use how can people use magic to make their home a safe place and how can they work with Hestia who is not only about the home but also about because Hestia while she's the goddess of the hearth she is also um the first called the first and the last first the first um bites of a meal the first portions of sacrifice go to her uh for the Greeks she was um you know they would make pledge their oaths to they would make their oaths of office to her so it wasn't just the interior sphere and it wasn't just all homeward facing uh there's this the idea that i kind of expand on in the book is she the home is the smallest unit of the entire community mm-hmm. and so when you are safe and when you are strong in your home then the community benefits from that especially if all of the homes are safe and secure um and it was just it was like just the timing was this was the book i was supposed to be writing at this time Mm -hmm. where people um people were just experiencing a lot of uncertainty at more uncertainty more uh not feeling safe not feeling secure in their in all of their environments and so we all retreated to our homes and how so how do we how do we secure ourselves when everything around us seems to be falling apart yeah 
So how did you find a place in that kind of chaoticness to carve out time to write? Um, oh, well, uh, I specifically, it was, it was difficult because the kids were doing remote learning. My husband was, um, working for, from home. Uh, and it just, it became a collaborative effort. Like it was a team effort where, mm-hmm. okay, uh, you're taking care of getting the kids up in the morning. I'm taking care of making sure that they're staying, uh, they're staying busy, uh, doing what they need to do. And a whole lot of late night writing sessions. Um, I'm naturally a, a night owl. So during the day it was, uh, testing out the recipes, um, making sure that I had, uh, the cleaning because there's a whole portion in there. Um, someone described it as a witchy home economics book, <laughs> uh, which is exactly what it is. I love that description of it. Um, so during the day, it was doing all of the practical stuff of, okay, how does this all fit together? And at night, just uh, wearily typing away at my um, at, at my computer and just writing notes. Like, this book is scattered across several different notebooks where I was just writing stuff down when I had a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wrote... Um... I write fiction usually, but I wrote like a companion cookbook, witchy book um, for the series during COVID. And it's always testing recipes and doing stuff like that. And then I had recipe testers too. And it was that same kind of just like the chaos of trying to do this and like bless the people who agreed to test recipes because like shopping (laughs) was difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and some of the recipes had kind of weird ingredients. And so I was like, if you can't find anything, let me know and I'll send it to you, you know, just like this insane thing. But yeah, it, it was a, the only way to get through that was community and collaboration for me. And it sounds like for you mm-hmm. too, that was the only way to get stuff done. Yeah. It took, it took a lot of, you know, basically having to enforce boundaries, um, which was difficult, but like with my kids being like, look, uh, this is my writing time. So you guys have to go to bed uh, on time. You have to, and, mm-hmm. you know, having like, some responsibility for stuff as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it was not easy. Um, and <laughs> then I did my third book, which was at the tail end of, of all of this. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think I'm ever going to get a chance to just sit down and write for, you know, for eight to five and not have stuff pop up i don't I know. think that's eventually my your kids will be as a writer eventually your kids will be grown i mean that's where i am now you know my kids are all out of the house yeah. that's a different <laughs> i say my kids i mostly i have a son and then i have bonus daughters and our bonus daughter would live with us sometimes but in you know very infrequently yeah right now my so. Yeah, right now my my eighteen year old she graduated in May and she's taking a gap year, so she so she's still home. She moved yeah. with us and she's yeah she's still home. It's okay. I no, I, I I like having yeah. all my family around me. Yeah, no, I think um, just having lived overseas for a tiny portion of my life, um, and you know this very American idea that you turn eighteen you leave is so American. Like most people don't work that mm-hmm. way. Most families don't work that way, and um. And I do like that. I, I mean, one of the things, one of my slivers of a better life during COVID was that 
all but my kids came. My son and his partner were living with us because they were saving up money to move. And then uh, my bonus daughter from Atlanta came because she lost her office, you know, lost her office job, was working remote. And one of her jobs was just closed and she was in between apartments. And we're like, just come home, just come home. So we were all home mm-hmm. and it was great. I mean, it was chaotic to have five oh, yeah. adults living in a house trying to figure out who needed to scrub the toilet next, you know, but, but it was great. <laughs> it was also great. Like I just loved having them there. It was like Christmas for four months in a weird way. I mean, yeah, things were bad and money was weird and my kids had lost their jobs and you know, all that kind of stuff, but we made it work because there were five of us figuring out how to make it work. It was, it was kind of nice. And I think we all look back on that time, despite the weirdness and the bad things about it is, it was really pleasant to spend that time together kind of uninterrupted. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think that um, speaks to that part about Hestia, I think too, is that um, that is not just the home and his community that she is, yeah. you know, in charge of, I guess, however you want to look at that. And um, I do think that is one of the things about our modern life. So we, we are missing out on the community part for the most part. We are kind of isolated in our homes. It's true. And it's um, it's just, especially here in America, it's so difficult with the way we things are set up and with uh, work, this whole idea of, you know, uh, you go to work for eight hours a day, except for it's not just eight hours a day because you have your commute there and you commute back. And um, and then once you get home, it's trying to fit in all that other stuff that you couldn't do that, that needs to be done cooking and cleaning and everything. And by the time you're ex- by the time you got that all done, you're exhausted and trying to so you try to cram uh, all the parts of community into two days, you know, the weekend, um, which then doesn't really leave you any room for rest, relaxation, and mm-hmm. it just kind of splinters stuff. And so people who, you know, when you see um, strong communities now, that's a testament to the will of the people in that community that they are putting that effort into it and mm-hmm. i don't think that um i certainly don't blame people uh who are exhausted by this whole nine to five uh five day a week life because it is tiring it is exhausting and it doesn't leave you with the mental or uh, any of the resources that you need to then reach out uh, to do more than just survive. There's not a lot of room in there for thriving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I don't know. I feel like I should polish the soapbox for you to kind of yell that to the rafters. So, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel that way too. Like there's like the, there's a, part of community that's missing and I think you know a lot of us try to build community the best we can like you said on the weekends online I mean a lot of community happened online during the pandemic and I think it's continuing that way I mean I have a group of people that I know in person from Nashville when I lived in Nashville writers group that we talk on Tuesdays we just get together on zoom and talk on Tuesdays if we can and it's great to keep in touch with them that way, but I miss seeing their faces in person. You know, it's, um, 
Yeah, there's yeah, it's still... really hard because like I have a community online and, and online communities are uh, great for filling in some of those gaps. Um, the problem is that it misses that physical component. So like if my friends are having, you know, I have friends all over the country and all over the world. If one of them's having a hard time, I can't just make a casserole and take it to them. Mm-hmm. Uh because they're in Iowa or they're in, um, you know, the Netherlands or uh, that. So I can't, um, I can't do the things that I normally would be able to do if they were living down the street or, you know, across town, I can't go and give them a ride if they're like, Oh, I need to get to this appointment, but I don't, my car broke down. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's online community is, is great. And, um, I don't want to dismiss that at all because for a lot of people, that's the only community that they can get people who are, uh, disabled or homebound or, uh, in areas where, um, that are not friendly to them, uh, to, uh, trans people who may have to hide who they are because they're living in some rural area. Uh, Online communities are great. It's just, it's hard to be supportive uh, beyond just giving words of support. Um, It's hard to make manifest that physically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the, that's the trade-off, I guess. Yeah. So we need the the Hestia book on building local community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know if I would be the person to write that, but I would I would absolutely read uh, read that. Yeah, somebody write that because I would love to read that. Um, yeah, so Hestia has absolutely. I mean, she. I think that there's often this idea that gods are not relevant anymore. Um, that there's always this, you know, you, even in the way that we speak of, of gods, we'll say, Oh, Hestia, the ancient Greek goddess, or we, we call that we, we use this kind of distancing language. Um, when, you know, for me, I'm not, I work with Hestia. I'm not, I don't worship her. Uh, we have very much a working relationship. Um, but I find her very much to be a presence in my life. Uh, not, not like an idea, not just, you know, I have this little Hestia figurine from Playmobil. They, I mean, little, uh, ancient, or uh, Greek God, another God, uh, <laughs> little figure. So I have that. And she's not just a little Playmobil figure on my altar. She is someone who I do have conversations with. And uh, I feel like we oftentimes view them as ideas or as um, fantasies. And for me, that has not been the, my reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so having, and again, having lived with this, where I knew about her all my life, then going and talking to people, people are like, Hestia, who's that? I'm like, oh, okay. 
I, I get why that was the other reason she wanted me to write this book because, you know, yeah. uh, there is a lack of knowledge. So, okay, get out of your bubble and go talk to people yeah. and write this book so people can learn. Yeah, she's not on the tip of the tongue for people who talk about, you know, Greek mythology and Greek myths and but yeah, she was in, she was incredibly important to Greek people. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I have always been fascinated by her just as the the representation of what I think living in community and being human. Like I've always kind of thought of her in that way. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see someone else who was like, oh yeah, Hestia. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, so before we get to our game of chance at the end, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about what's coming up. And I you've got another book in the works um, and this will come out in March. So think about if you got anything coming up in March too, to let people know about. Um, no, actually this is okay. So I'm finishing up the edits on the third book, uh, which they just in the last couple of weeks came, uh, we got the title. And so it's uh, an, the natural homes will of the year. Uh, cooking, crafting, decorating, and magic for uh, every Sabbath. It's basically, uh, I went through each Sabbath and I have um, things, decorations, altar decorations, crafts to make, recipes, um, rituals that you can do. So you could go through the entire book and you have ideas for the entire year uh, to kind of connect to the various sabbats and kind of bring them into your life um and that is coming out fall of 2023 so um when this come out you can probably pre-order it um yeah i think yeah that probably is is the case so yes please (laughs) pre-order pre-orders are very important for authors um and it's kind of uh it's kind of a merging of the last two books in taking the idea of uh, bringing magic into your everyday life and the stuff that you do and also the uh, importance of the home um, and ritual. Uh, Like in the uh, Hestia book, I have a whole chapter on how to make your own will of the year um, where you, you go, okay, these are the important things for me. I'm going to put this on my calendar and I'm going to write my rituals and my, uh, what, what it's going to mean. Uh, so the, it's basically those two ideas merged together in a book where I did a whole bunch of crafts and cooking and decorating and took a whole bunch of pictures. So it's very similar. It'll look very similar to so witchy where there's, cause all mm-hmm. the pictures in so witchy, um, most of them I took myself. Oh, wow. uh, there's a few stock images in there. Yeah, I I took those pictures while I was homeless, so it was it was a wild six weeks. Um, I bet. So that's the book that I'm working on. Uh, it's I'm finishing up the edits, and yeah, it'll come out in 2023. Um, and then personally, what I'm working on is I've got a Patreon uh, where a lot of it it tends to be the uh, cauldron in which a lot of my ideas get uh, formulated before mm-hmm. they get put to paper. Um, and then to my website and Instagram and, and that sort of stuff is uh, all the stuff I'm working on. Yeah. I'm, I'll link 
to all that stuff in the notes too. So people can get oh, to okay, it easily. Um, I will say if people have not seen So Witchy, it is a large format paperback and it has gorgeous photography in it, gorgeous pictures. Um, it is you. not, it is, um, is more like a art book in some ways, like because of all this, you get like all of this lovely photograph. It's not just describing the things or line drawings. Like you actually get to see finished products and things like that. So it is really lovely. And if you wanted to leave it out on your coffee table, it would not look amiss. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. That means a lot because I had not taken photographs before this book. So it was a learning process. And I really fear that I may have driven the art director to drink because there was a lot of notes back going, (laughs) can you not? And me going, okay, okay, I will do better this next time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought it was lovely. I thought it was really lovely. Um, All right. So for our last question, um, I'm a a Scorpio. And so I like to talk about things we're not supposed to talk about, which is partly why I started a podcast. And I don't know how to do chit chat, apparently. So I um, will roll a die. It's a little D&D die. Um, When I said I knew about LARPing, I wasn't kidding. I played D&D with my family. And um, I was a LARPer back in the day. We played Vampire, the Masquerade. Yeah, that, yeah, that was my LARP as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back in the day, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, so I will roll this. And then depending on what number I roll, you'll get a question about death, sex, religion, politics, or money. And if I roll a six, oh, okay. you get to pick which one you want. Oh, okay. Two, sex. Well, we didn't talk about that at all. Okay. So this is great. Well, um, <laughs> so how would you incorporate not magic or sewing magic into sex magic or for a spell for sex how would you do that oh oh you could do a lot of stuff with not magic um with kind of tying up uh bondage that sort of thing i would absolutely especially if you are doing if you have any kind of hang-ups uh, I could imagine that you could do um, some tying up where uh, as you are releasing the uh, you you tie up what you have your hang up about and then by uh, through orgasm and through release and then releasing those knots kind of let go of that hang up Um and then costuming i mean come on you could absolutely use your sewing skills to come up with all sorts of costuming for role play to get <laughs> yes uh no I, I all of this is you could absolutely work sewing magic and not magic and all of that kind of uh into into you know to the point of um you could embroider your sheets and your pillows for uh, working with uh, if you have any impetus or fertility. Absolutely, you could uh, be putting sachets under your pillows or embroidering fertility symbols on your sheets. Um, making, I mean, you could go all out and do a whole uh, linen set of quilt and everything uh, if you're having fertility issues. Um, so, like, I could keep listing uh, ideas. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, I always I, think of, like, the bed as an altar in a way. Like, it is kind of the altar yeah. to your relationship with your person or people, depending yeah. on who you are. 
And right. I, you know, like, yeah, like to put that kind of care into it totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I think, again, this the idea that our lives are more interconnected than modern life would have us think. And, and uh, what you do in your bedroom, uh, both magically and energetically and uh, physically, has impact on the rest of your life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you are... Um, if you are beginning, you've never done any sewing or making or anything in your life, and you want to bring uh, some of that, uh, make a little sachet. Like you don't even have to be really good at embroidery to uh, take a pencil and you know trace a little penis or a vagina symbol on there and stitch it up, and then fill that with uh, herbs and crystals for fertility or for you know. Um, passion and slip that uh underneath your pillow um like i have a little cross stitch uh because i do cross stitch as well and Mm -hmm. i've done a bunch of different um things but i have a little (laughs) a little penis one and a little vagina one for you know i was just like i wonder if i can cross stitch a penis yes you can um (laughs) you can cross stitch anything uh but you know go ahead and you don't even have to it doesn't have to be elaborate it doesn't have to be obvious you can just on one of the little corners of your sheets you know uh in red uh, do a few stitches and tuck that in there and then you've got that intention and uh you've set that intention and you're working that magic Mm -hmm. um and then you know make a make a special bag for your toys and for your um all your condoms or lube or whatever you have Mm -hmm. um that you use where you can embody imbue uh the bag with um with your intentions uh with protective energies for if it's your condoms or your birth control or whatever or um pleasure and passion energies if it's for your toys uh and something like a just a simple drawstring bag is not going to be that that's going to be a beginner Mm -hmm. Uh, thing that you can do and you can even you don't have to you don't even have to embroider there is a wonderful company called spoon flower uh that prints uh prints on fabric and you can either make your own design if you're crafty like that or you can go on there and there are tons of artists who have made fabric patterns Mm -hmm. and so you can go on there and i guarantee you you will find some symbol that will speak to you and speak to your intention that you can then order uh a quarter yard of fabric, fat quarter, and turn that into a bag for uh, a very simple drawstring bag for what your your um to to hold your your stuff, yeah. your toys and your all of that. So um, yeah, no, that's there are plenty of ways that you could bring that magic uh, through making into your bedroom for better, happier or pleasurable sex. Yeah. I love that you just hit the ground running. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like she has ideas. She's ready to go. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I won't say that some of those ideas have not already been put into, uh, into, into the, the real, uh, I would think, own I would think no less no, than that. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, hopefully no, your I Patreon very... folks can benefit from that too. Like maybe you can do awesome for your Patreon folks. Yeah, do a do a thing on there. Um, no, I just I encourage people to make. I encourage people to just give it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, even if sewing isn't your thing, there's going to be a craft out there that uh, you're going to enjoy that you can participate in and that you can then bring magic in. Like Mm -hmm. I I wrote so witchy and it's about sewing, but I want it to encourage people and give people ideas of other ways that they can bring that magic intention into their making. Um, I think that there is something very special about making something with your own hands. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's an act of creation and it's by itself is an act of magic that you are creating something out of nothing, out of these raw materials. So why not bring that attention in there? Um, I, if nothing else, I hope people come away from my books with that idea and that encouragement. Yeah. And I do think I, the tone in your books really puts that forward. Like you can do this, you know, this is not, it's not rocket surgery or whatever. It's, it's you know I believe in you all I believe everybody yeah. can do some sort of crafting yeah and I mean I feel that way about writing too like it is um for me writing's really empowering to kind of get my thoughts out in the world and see them and and do that and I you know I wish that for other people and you know writing may not be your thing sewing may not be your thing cooking may not be your thing maybe you're a candle maker maybe you're a soap maker maybe you're a musician you know all of those things have that power I think that creative generative power to kind of put our will in the world and see how mm-hmm. we think about things or what we think about things. So yeah, it's, it's nice. And I, I'm <laughs> glad to, to know another fellow cheerleader to get that stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that term cheerleader. Yeah. That's, that's what we do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. This was delightful. I'm looking forward to the new book and um, hopefully we'll have you back on. Sounds great. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, it's been fun talking about all this. Excellent. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Volt Press. Our intro music is Cosmic Glow by Andrew Kay, and our outro music is Voices by Alexander Shinekar. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy.